0: Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the Midnight Ride of Paul Revere. So goes the immortal poem of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow in describing Paul Revere's famous ride to warn American patriots that the British were approaching Boston. But there was another daring ride, one much less famous, but likely much more important, made by a patriot named Jack Jowett in Charlottesville, Virginia, in 1781, that may well have saved Thomas Jefferson's bacon, as well as three other signers of the Declaration of Independence, the capture of whom could mean a terrible blow to American morale and the beginning of the end for the American Revolution, the fate of which, in 1781, was hanging by a thread. Welcome to another episode of 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This one, from our history series, is titled, Jack Jowett's Midnight Ride, and this is the story of one man's effort to save his countrymen and their cause, one of hundreds of stories of sacrifice that have been obscured by the veil of time and education's rush through selective American history. We thank you for joining us today and wish to remind you that our audio stories can be found at www.1001storiespodcast.com. Dot com, as well as at all the podcatcher sites like iTunes and Stitcher and podbay.fm where subscriptions are free. You can also check in with us at facebook.com forward slash 1001heroes and get in on the conversations that often take place, especially when folks want to mention relatives that were involved in our story content in any way. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is our story. In Virginia schools, especially around Charlottesville, Virginia, the story of Jack Jowett, often called the Paul Revere of the South, used to be told hand-in-hand with the story of Paul Revere. In order to understand just how important this ride was, we need to look at the situation in Virginia in 1781, and it was desperate. The year 1781 marked the sixth year of the American Revolution. Virginia, the most populous state, had remained pretty much unscathed until January of seventeen eighty one. On December thirtieth, seventeen eighty, Benedict Arnold, the traitor and now a British general, sailed up the James River with eighteen hundred men aboard twenty seven warships to take the new capital of Richmond. The governor at that time was Thomas Jefferson, who fled from that city on January fifth, a decision that would plague him until the end of his life. After burning and looting Richmond, Arnold sailed back down the James to Portsmouth, Virginia, and dug in. All across Virginia, the call went out for men to fight. In March, the British landed an additional 2,000 troops in Portsmouth and began raiding along the James, including a battle at Blandford and a one-sided naval turkey shoot at Osborne's. There, on the 27th of April, 1781, the entire Virginia Navy was lost, including their best ship, the Jefferson, which was scuttled. Hungry for more looting, the British advanced again on Richmond on April 30th, but this time Richmond was saved by the one army we had in Virginia under the command of General Marquis de Lafayette at the head of 900 Continentals dispatched from Washington's army. For one long month, this force, plus 1,500 newly signed volunteers, was all Virginia could muster against the much larger British force. Then, British General Cornwallis marched into Virginia from North Carolina with 1,500 more British soldiers and another 1,500 arrived by sea, and the 24-year-old Lafayette found himself to be greatly outnumbered. Now facing him was a British field of 7,200 battle-tested veterans. Lafayette abandoned Richmond, proving himself too cagey to be ensnared by Cornwallis, whose plan had been to crush Lafayette's army and end the Revolution. Cornwallis had been handed a captured missive indicating that the government of Virginia, which included both houses of the legislature and Governor Thomas Jefferson, had retreated to Charlottesville and was using the courthouse across from the Swan Tavern as their meeting place. In addition, Jefferson was staying at his home at nearby Monticello with a number of the revolutionary leaders, a group which included three signers of the Declaration of Independence in addition to Jefferson. The entourage included future President Thomas Jefferson, Patrick Henry, Richard Henry Lee, Thomas Nelson, Jr., and father of a future president, Benjamin Harrison V. The remainder of the Virginia Assembly was staying at the Swan Tavern in the town of Charlottesville. Cornwallis knew that the capture of either group would go a long way toward breaking the backs of the colonial resistance, and hanging a few traitors would make a powerful statement. Cornwallis turned to his most trusted and ruthless officer, Colonel Bannister Tarleton, to carry out a surprise night raid. The green-jacketed Tarleton led the white-coated British Legion, Loyalists from New Jersey, Philadelphia, and New York City, hardened American Loyalists who had sworn allegiance to King George. At the Waxhaws in May of 1780, these Tarleton dragoons, sabers slashing, had hacked their way through Virginia Continentals attempting to surrender, shouting, no quarter, as dozens of unarmed patriots were hacked to death. It was remembered by the Colonials as Tarleton's quarter, and the debt was paid back more than once, beginning at the Cowpens a few months later, a battle that left Tarleton's army beaten, scattered, and running for their lives. Bloody Tarleton was about to exact revenge against the corps of the fledgling Virginia government, with a hundred and eighty horsemen from his legion and seventy mounted infantrymen from the twenty third regiment the Royal Welsh Fusiliers, mounted on horses stolen from the Virginia countryside, riding with their light muskets slung across their red tunics. On June 3rd, 1781, Tarleton left Cornwallis' camp on the North Anna River with the intent of covering the 70 miles to Charlottesville in 24 hours, striking early on the morning of June 4th. His troops reached the Cuckoo Tavern outside of Charlottesville around 10 p.m. on June 3rd. According to legend, Jack Jowett, 27 years old, was sleeping off his dinner underneath a giant oak on the front lawn of the tavern when he heard the unmistakable sound of approaching cavalry. Had it been just about anyone else, they would have slipped off into the cover of darkness with little care for a company of British dragoons traveling in the night. But Jowett, according to some accounts, was a captain in the 16th Regiment of the Virginia Militia and very active in the Revolutionary cause, his family having signed the Albemarle Declaration renouncing King George. Two of his brothers had joined the Continental Army, and one, his older brother Matthew, in the 7th Virginia Regiment, had been mortally wounded at Brandywine. More importantly, Jowett's father owned Swan Tavern, and Joett was one of the few people who knew at this very moment that most of the Virginia legislature was staying there while the temporary government of Virginia was trying to get back on its feet after the fall of Richmond. He also knew Jefferson was at Monticello with Patrick Henry and others. Recognizing Tarleton from the shadows and seeing the size of his cavalry force, Joet immediately understood why Tarleton was there. Capturing and perhaps hanging Jefferson could mean the end of the revolution. There was no time to waste. He had to warn Jefferson and then the others at Swan Tavern in Charlottesville, just down the mountain from Jefferson's home of Monticello but he couldn't risk the main road where Tarleton had no doubt sent scouts ahead to stop anyone from getting through to Jefferson with a message. He would have to ride the 40 miles through the woods at night. Very risky, because his horse could easily break his leg riding full speed or either of them be speared by branches, but a risk he had to take and survive. There was no other option. He waited until Tarleton's dragoons left the tavern, headed for the Louisa Courthouse. His bay mare Sally, which he described as the fastest horse in the seven counties, was in the Swan Tavern paddock, and he quickly donned his riding boots, his scarlet jacket, and his plumed cap, an eccentric outfit to be sure, but one that might mistake him for a king's soldier, at least at a distance. At six foot four and 220 pounds, Joe was no easy load for a horse, so Sally must have been a big mare. He followed Tarleton's dragoons on the main road toward the Louisa Courthouse where he knew they would be watering their horses, now well-lathered from their long and fast travels. The main and faster road to Charlottesville, now blocked, Jowett turned Sally onto an abandoned road by way of which the logs for the courthouse had originally been brought. He knew the old Indian trail, called Three Notch Road, well, having hunted along it previously. The name Three Notch was given to it as the only way to follow it was by spotting the three notches that Indians had hacked into the trees to mark the trail. At night, even with a full moon, it was still a toss-up. Virginia's Dabney, in his article, Jowett's Ride, described it this way. His progress was greatly impeded by matted undergrowth, tangled brush, and overhanging vines and gullies. His face was cruelly lashed by tree limbs as he rode forward, and scars said to have remained the rest of his life was the result of lacerations sustained from those low-hanging branches. Drenched with sweat, Joe had splashed into the South Anna River, somewhere south of the Louisa Courthouse. Perhaps he stopped briefly to water Sally and check her legs and flanks for cuts. He could judge by the position of the moon that the night was almost spent, causing him to ride faster. He was now determined to beat Tarleton or die trying. 25 miles may not seem like a long way to go in a car, but at night, on horseback, it was still a long journey. Meanwhile, Tarleton had stopped for two hours at the Louisa Courthouse to rest the men and their mounts before the final push. At 2 a.m., they were on the move again. At Boswell's Tavern, they came upon 12 wagons carrying weapons and supplies for Greene's Continental Army in South Carolina, and they burned them, which delayed them further. Just after daybreak, they came upon Dr. Thomas Walker's estate at Castle Hill. Walker, a stout patriot who had discovered the Cumberland Gap into Kentucky, was captured along with neighbor Francis Kinlock, a member of the Virginia Congress. At 4.30 a.m., Jowett ascended Monticello Mountain and, reining in his horse at the entrance, rushed inside to warn Jefferson and his guests of the approaching danger. Jefferson quickly sent his family away to a friend's house at nearby Enniscorthy, about 14 miles away, and then took time not only to pack documents, but to serve breakfast to his guests. He did not seem to be in a rush, perhaps thinking about his recent fast retreat from Richmond and what the appearance of a second panic flight would do to his reputation. Only he knows. He spent two hours packing his papers and left instruction with the remainder of his household to hide sensitive material. When British Captain Kenneth MacLeod entered the house, the remaining men there were still in the process of hiding the valuables. Jefferson had escaped only minutes before to the woods, but returned to get his sword, which he had left. The British then spotted him and pursued him into the woods of Carter's Mountain. Jowett left immediately after delivering his warning, wanting to reach the sleepy town of Charlottesville two miles down the mountain to warn the Virginia assemblymen of the coming danger. Jowett was able to reach Charlottesville's Swan Tavern before Tarleton, warning the assemblymen, all but seven of whom were able to escape. One of them, a General Edward Stevens, had been wounded at the Battle of Guilford Courthouse and was barely able to move. Joett got him up on his horse and rode with him as the British pursued, but Stevens wasn't able to spur his horse fast enough to make his escape. Jowett was still wearing his scarlet coat and plumed hat, and Stevens was dressed in shoddy clothing. The British cavalry assumed that Jowett, due to his clothing, must have been some sort of colonial officer, and Jowett baited them to pursue him, leaving the general behind. The ruse worked, and the dragoons went after Jowett, who was able to elude them in the woods. After giving up on Jefferson, the men returned and destroyed 400 barrels of gunpowder, as well as other ammunition, and several hundred hogsheads of tobacco. They didn't burn down Monticello, preferring to hoist the British flag over their newly captured headquarters. Tarleton, having left Monticello, charged through a small militia force at Secretary's Ford, then thundered onto the Louisa Courthouse Square, vowing to apprehend the governor and his assemblymen. In the melee that followed, several officers and men were killed or wounded. Daniel Boone, representing the massive western county of Kentucky, then a part of Virginia, was among the legislators captured in Charlottesville that day. Nathaniel Boone, Daniel's oldest son, related the following story 70 years later. When Jack Jowett gave notice of Tarleton's approach, my father remained, loading up on wagons the public records, When they were overtaken by the British, they were questioned hastily, then dismissed, until Jowett called out, Wait a minute, Captain Boone, I'll go with you. An enemy officer then said, Ah, he is a captain, and took Boone into custody. Conveyed to the British camp east of town and held overnight in a coal house, the legendary frontiersman was reportedly interrogated by Tarleton and then released. This version is at odds with the story of Jack Jowett helping Edwards to escape, and the real story is lost to history. Thanks to the daring ride of Jack Jowett, Jefferson and the Virginia Assembly were left intact, and Washington and Lafayette were able to lure Cornwallis into a trap at Yorktown only months later that would decide the fate of the Revolution in favor of the Colonials. In Staunton, the Reformed Assembly met again and elected Thomas Nelson, who was one of Jefferson's guests at Monticello when Jowett arrived with his warning as the new governor of Virginia. Recognizing their debt to Jowett, the legislature passed a resolution on June 15th to honor him, resolving to award him with a pair of pistols and a sword. Joett wasn't to receive the pistols until 1783, and the sword came 20 years later. Virginia, as well as the newly formed country that so many had fought and died for, still had a lot of growing to do, including finding a way to finance resolutions made by a state's Congress. Those were hard years for the growing colonies. The following year, Jack Joat moved to what is now Kentucky and settled in Mercer County and became a prominent citizen, focusing on raising livestock and breeding, importing animals from England. He developed friendships with Andrew Jackson and Henry Clay. He married Sally Rogard, and together they had 12 children, including the now famous painter Matthew Harrison Joett. Of his famous son, Joat once said, I sent Matthew to college to make a gentleman of him, and he's turned out to be nothing but a damn sign painter. Jowett had yet another famous descendant through his son Matthew, his grandson, James Edward Fightin' Jim Joett, who served under Admiral Farragut and was immortalized with his famous quote, Damn the torpedoes! Four bells! Captain Drayton, go ahead! Joett, full speed! Jack Jowett died March 1, 1822 at his daughter's house in Bath, Kentucky. He's buried at the Peeled Oak Farm in Bath County in an unmarked grave the sight of the grave was lost until the 20th century. On October 6th, 1909, the Charlottesville Daily Press published the following poem, hoping to help keep the memory of Jack Jowett's ride alive. Hearken, good people, awhile abide, and hear of the stout Jack Jowett's ride, how he rushed his steed, nor stopped, nor stayed, till he warned the people of Tarleton's raid. The moment his warning note was rehearsed, the state assembly was quickly dispersed, In their haste to escape, they didn't stop until they had crossed the mountaintop and upon the other side came down to resume their sessions in Staunton Town. His parting steed he spurred in haste to carry the warning to that greatest statesman of any age, the immortal Monticello stage. Here goes to thee, Jack Jowett. Lord, keep thy memory green. You made the greatest ride that ever yet was seen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales and we invite you to join us at any of the free podcast sites and subscribe to our shows. For the many that could care less what a podcast is, you could listen at 1001storiespodcast.com or join us at Facebook at facebook.com forward slash 1001heroes. We get comments there all the time. Most of all, we need to grow more listeners, and you are the most important part of that, so please share us with others. Thanks to all of you for listening. Until next time, This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is our story.